week's guest is Daniel Nevsky, a Russian globetrotter who's currently living in Barcelona, Spain. Dan is the founder and CEO of Indie Bartender. Dan established the Indie Bartender platform as a means to push the future of the modern bartender. We have a fascinating discussion with Dan as he explains his motivation behind developing Indie Bartender and the goal of pushing yourself as an independent brand. By joining the platform, you gain access to bartending manuals, training resources, and bar business exercises. It's an incredibly interesting and novel approach and well worth the listen. You can get more details on the website, IndieBartender.com, and check out Dan's Instagram profile, at Cocktail Man. Enjoy the show. This episode of the Industry Podcast is sponsored by Rick Baroncelli at The Case for Wine. Rick has everything that wine lovers are looking for, whether you're a bar or a restaurant or just a private consumer. Rick has the selection of wine that will fit your needs. All regions and price ranges are available. Email Rick at rick at thecaseforwine.com. And welcome to the Industry Podcast. My name is Kip. This is Dan. How's it going, man? I'm all right. How are you? Hey, you know, another podcast, another hangover. So uh, <laughs> seems to be a pretty, pretty uh, con- consistent routine for me. Yes. Uh, you actually were out in public getting drunk last night. That's, That's right, exciting. yeah. And usually most of the time these are work days when we record this. So <laughs> just being a weekend, to, for once I'm not hungover on a work day. I'm turning into an adult. Yes, I'd like to give a big <laughs> shout out to the Nick McLean Quartet, who was the reason that we're both hungover today. Yes, that was a great show. At Sugar Run Bar, downtown Kitchener, you should check that out if you're in the area. Also, Babylon Sisters Wine Bar, Uptown Waterloo. Check out both of those spots if you're in the Kitchener-Waterloo area. Cool. So we have a great guest as always. Dan Nevsky is going to be joining us in just a minute here. We should mention that if you're enjoying what you're hearing on the Industry Podcast, you should subscribe, rate, and review the show. And if you want to be a guest on the show, you can either email us at info at the industrypodcast.club. That is also where you can email us for potential sponsorship, or you can DM us at the Industry Podcast on Instagram. Big shout out as always to Zach Hanna at zachhanna.co for the artwork he does for the show. And you should be checking him out for any of your graphic arts needs. And I think that's about all we got to talk about. Perfect. All right. Let's bring in our guest. Dan, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm also hungover. I'm glad we're all over. Okay, good. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> this will be a nice, slow conversation. Yes. yes thanks no for one's on going to be rushing. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Yes. Thank you very much. And you're coming to us from Barcelona today. Yes, that's, uh, thank you for inviting me. Uh, always, always great. Especially, I didn't know that there was people who give a shit in Adam Canada to the hell that I do. So <laughs> it's quite nice. Yes. Well, you'd be surprised the, the amount of shits people give. <laughs> um, so nice. tell us why. Let's start by telling us why you're currently in Barcelona. Long story short, it was um, I'm, I've been like a gypsy all my life. Uh, pretty much lived in six different countries so far to to date. And when I mean live, I mean like you know I actually settled in. Mm-hmm. And when my job finally got to a point where I didn't have to be location based, I was like, cool. Which part of Europe has a has a sun, has sea, has a pretty decent like uh, life you know ratio? The rent isn't too high, and Barcelona. It's like that optimal sort of place, especially if you don't have local salaries because they're not great. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I mean, Barcelona is amazing. It's one of my favorite cities in the world. So fun. To, it's such a fun party atmosphere, too. If you if I mean, I'm, I'm too old for that shit now. But if I, I don't know if you are. <laughs> I, I, li- I like walking past it and go, oh, those kids. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how you first got into the service industry. How, how did you get your start? And uh 
Yeah, just kind of walk us through the basics of uh, the beginnings of your career. Well, it's 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 a funny one because I think everyone and I don't know how old you are, Kip or Dan. You look great, and I don't feel good inside right now, so I assume you're you're you're, you're better than I am. But but basically, like most people, it was a means to an end sort of situation, right? Yeah. Um, I think I think when I was growing up, there wasn't Instagram or TikTok or any of this stuff going on, so we weren't looking up to any fancy fancy bartenders in my city. We were just like, all right, I want to meet people. Starting to get some hair in my balls. I want to be, you know, I want, <laughs> yeah. I want to possibly socialize with, with with people I'm into, and I'm going to go and work in service. And I started off as catering for Scottish weddings. Ooh. So lo- loads of kilts and loads of skirts, and I know the difference now. The toilets, the same. The toilets are non-gender binary; they have the same photo. It's the, you figure that one out. <laughs> so that's basically it, really. Uh, we moved to Scotland when I was 15 because my mother is in petroleum industry, oil and gas. Canada knows a lot about that. Oh yes. Uh, and so being uh, being in one of those families, that's why we move around a lot. You know, you go where the oil is. Um, Thank God we didn't have to go to Libya. Um, but, but Scotland is where it was at, and that's how I got into I wanted to meet people. You know, 15 years old, you started to want to socialize and living outside of a big city. I was living in a, not far, but from a city called Aberdeen, which is about 200,000 people. And I was living on the outskirts of that. And so a bus would come. You take buses uh, if you were a kid, because my parents were like, you're an adult now, back in your day. You know how parents are. Yeah, when I was your age, I used to walk for 40 miles through gunfire. Water. <laughs> you know, all of them have this World War II style story. Um, and so, so to get any money, I had to go work in catering. And that's what I did. Right. Um, that's really that right, humble beginnings, really. Yeah. And you've like since then, I mean, we were uh, reading through your bio and like you were named what top 100 bartenders in the world. It's a weird one. Hey, yeah. uh, it's that list is what like four years old mm. um so it's fairly new and it's a funny one because you know the the world is split i, I talk about this a lot because i was born in in russia i'm from eastern europe with uh with family in ukraine as well so a really fun time right now right um <laughs> super on point i'm yeah. intentionally on point but it's one of these things where it's like who, who is really influential right right like i don't i've never been to canada I've, I've met a bunch of Canadian bartenders at events before, right? But anyone who reads that list is going to like, who the fuck is that? I don't know who the fuck that is. They didn't influence me, you know? Right. So it's one of these lists like, eh, it's, it's, a, it's like a timeout article or, or a BuzzFeed top 10, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't... I, Obviously, I'm using it in my email bio to get as much money as possible from friends. But... <laughs> yeah, but, sure. but, but Right. If, if I was to go like who's really influential, you'll be like, yo, the CEO of Diageo, like right. permanently number one. Right. That person decided to create a non-alcoholic category. Now it's worth millions. No one no one gave a shit before that. Right. So yeah. It's one of these things, you know. Well, if you like alcohol, you should probably reach out to Rick Baroncelli at Rick at the case for He's got a ton of amazing products, including the Luc Baudet Rive Droit Cotoron. It's uh, one of the finest examples of Grenache in the region, and it pairs beautifully with like a veal fillet, chanterelle mushrooms, or uh, cooked cheeses. Mm. So uh, once again, that's Rick Baroncelli, Rick at the case for wine.com. Okay, Dan, so... I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> it, it reminds me of those like old ads where someone gets a very raspy voice. <laughs> it's like, hey... 
hey, big boy, are you looking for hot milfs in your area? That's right. I'm trying to bring, <laughs> I'm trying to bring the sex to wine. Yeah. <laughs> I've got that phone number memorized. <laughs> so many times. It's funny um, they talk about wine, though, just quickly, yeah. just because it's, 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 yeah. it's inspired. Like, I don't know if you've ever been to New Orleans yes. uh, for, like, for like tales or something. In fact, I'm headed there this July for Tales of the Cocktail. We're going to be doing live interviews. Are, is, that, is that your first time or? It's not, not my first time at Tales, but not in New Orleans. Cool. Fair enough. Yeah. So if you, if you get a drive by, if you're going to be there on a Sunday, go to Bacchanal, which is the best wine bar in existence, in my opinion. Okay. Because it's, it's a Sunday thing. You go in there on a Sunday. But the most amazing New Orleans jazz, just because wine is what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's, it's not an official event. So everyone just goes there. It's not in the city center. You got to take a stupid ass Uber way out. And it is the greatest wine bar for one very simple reason. You go into there, it's all, uh, there's no reservations. You come in, when you walk in, it's a wine shop. But the way the wines are categorized is not like by regions or by uh, like, you know, like styles. It's literally how you feel. So yeah. there's a fridge that's just fridge that says patio pounders. <laughs> and nice. Yeah, and and we we went in there and we saw this magnum of rosé and it's called Brosé before Jose Cuerva, and we were like, "That's it, we're getting some brosé," you know. And it's all like it's it's all like this. It's like with the wife, first date, um, like anniversary. None of that makes sense. But then you just buy the wine. They open it for you. You go to the other room. There's these empty Heinz mayo buckets, and you get yourself. You just put your wine in there yourself. Ice yourself, get wine glasses, find a table, get absolutely cool. uh, responsibly drunk. Yeah, um, that sounds amazing. I'm definitely going to check that out. Thanks for the tip. Dude, <laughs> dude, uh, it's the best and the, the greatest music. Like, it's just awesome. And it's oh, very right. well priced because there's no, there's no, there's no one has to come up to you and make you open the wine and smell it. That stupid ritual of sommeliers, you know, like, yeah. hey, is this the wine you ordered? I don't fucking know. I don't speak French. <laughs> 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 Yeah. The irony is that you're in Canada, so you actually might. Yeah, a little bit. I'm pretty rusty, but uh, yeah, I speak a little. Um, okay, so let, I, I want to talk a little bit about your current business. So you play it as the independent bartender. Tell me what that's yes. all about. Uh, actually, it's pretty cool. So it's according to me because it's my business. Obviously. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say it. Yeah, I did cool. think you probably thought it was cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I. It's, I hope to one day there will be lots of them. I'll explain basically the precursor, what's happening, and what I've run into. In 2020, I sold my previous business back to the founder of that business. We were business partners, but I sold my share back. Um, and it was a social media platform for bartenders called Cocktails for You. And I didn't know that COVID was coming. Nobody did. So I sat there and I had a bunch of cash. And then COVID hit and I'm like, cool, I don't have a job. Um, I don't have a, I don't know. I don't have a bar. I don't have a job. I've just got some cash and it looks like I'll be living off that. So I had an easier COVID in terms of, I had some money saved up Yeah. now, but by the end of the first lockdown, I had no money saved up, um, <laughs> burning through savings. Even if Barcelona is pretty well priced, you just burn through it. Right. Sure. And so the idea came across just trying to think of what I'm going to do next when your back is against the wall. And I'm like, cool. Like no one's off. Like that's the whole point. No one's offering you a job. You don't. You got no investment opportunity because you don't have enough cash anymore, and you're worried about investing in this time to open a place. You know, whatever. And I read about a thing called Red Bull Academy. 
So Red Bull has this thing called Red Bull Academy where they basically take extreme sports. So if any of you guys, I don't know if Dan, if you're into any sort of sport, as a bartender, we usually just lift a glass and do our biceps, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but basically, the, um, they just get like extreme sports people, athletes that are into whatever they're into. They go, hey, I'll lock you down for a five-year contract. You go do whatever the hell it is that you want to do. How much do you need a month to get paid? Oh, 3K, cool. We'll give you a five-year five, co- five contract. We'll give you 3K every month to skate, jump out of buildings, whatever. But you wear a Red Bull patch and you, right. you do, we, you know, we use you in our marketing. And if they end up becoming huge, that's, that pays itself back to Red Bull. And if they die in the, by doing extreme sports, well, that's their problem. You know? <laughs> but what, what ends up happening is that they have a creative freedom to go do exactly what they love and get better at it without having the, this, you know, the, the nine to five sort of situation or having to hoard themselves out of stuff. I was like, how do I do that and bring it to the bar industry? Now, realistically, it already exists in the form of the brand ambassador in a way, right? So these people go do what they like, based usually on a spirit or a category that they like, and they don't have to worry about whatever it is they do. However, I was like, yo, Brand ambassadors, half of them get depressed within the first five years because they and they hate the product they end up repping because they <laughs> right. can't drink it anymore. Right? <laughs> become, they feel like getting monotonous. You know, there's difficulty when you get into the corporate structure. Not everyone sort of can mold very well. It's going from bartending, the most loosey liability thing in the world, to nine till five, go do an event and still get to the office for a meeting at nine a.m. the next day. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm ranting. I'm ranting. So yeah. basically the business model is simple. I was like, cool. What if I treat myself as a brand, right? I'll do exactly the Red Bull thing. I'm the brand. Here's all my portfolio of seminars. Here's my experience. Here's everything I know. What if I create a brand plan for me as if I was a product for 12 months, I find it, I budget it and I finance it. So I go in there like, where do I want to go? Which bar shows, which countries I want to go to? What do I want to do? So for 2022, it cost 35,000 euros. And I basically, that was most of my savings. So I was like, pump it in there. Then once I've got this plan filled out, I go to brands that want to work with me. I'm like, hey, the annual retailer, retainer for me is the same as my investment. So you're not a sponsor, you're a partner. It's a partnership on equal rights. So that means that I have creative freedom within the company because I just basically sell myself like a speed rail. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a bar. I'm like, cool, 35K, you're my vermouth partner. 35K, you're my gin, gin partner. And here's where you come in. Here's how you're going to utilize. Of course, it's like a Venn diagram. So some of the brands, they want certain stuff. So, you know, they can request certain things. And then I just go and do it, you know. And then I, there's very clear clauses in the contract where, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I'm not going to endorse other products in the same category, but I can still visit distilleries i can still be in the same building as another gin or another vermouth because i've got two partners now and it means that i can say no to ideas that are evidently really stupid uh, <laughs> oh, that is for you know <laughs> right yeah. but but there is downsides to it where it's like the first partner basically gets your investment back right right and then the second partner pays the taxes that you have to pay <laughs> for, right. yeah. for, for invoicing so to, I would say that now with the two partners, it's stable, but I used to have to make quite a lot from different events and guest bartending with brands and sort of short-term stuff. But the basic business model is very simple. You are the brand as an individual, you create a, a brand plan, you budget it, you finance it, and you sell yourself like a speed rail to different brands 
for whatever it is that you're invested. And it's completely up to you how big or small you want to be. You want to be the size of Canada. You want to be North America. You want to be global. It's all within what you can think of and what you know how far you want to go. Also, bear in mind, you don't want to be like a NASCAR driver with like a bazillion patches of brand. Right. With you. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's only so much you can do and you don't want to sell. You know, you want to stick, stick to who you are as a person. You know, I don't really like Menscal. I don't mind it. I have some right here on the table. But if I was to, you know, sign with a Menscal brand, everyone who knows me would be like, dude, you're, you're, you're full of shit. You don't, that's right. not your thing. So you got to really stay true to yourself. I think this independence thing, this sort of partnership rather than sponsorship is possibly a new career path for people who don't want to stay in operations, who don't want to go corporate and who think consulting is a mess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so you know what I mean. So that's that's a that's the way you can work with brands, but still stay financially stable, but still creative. But it's all based on your creativity. If you suck at creativity, you you're fucked. You can't right. do anything. You know, that's it. So like, where are you physically doing the bartending though? Like, are you, do you do just guest spots at bars or at trade shows or how does that work? So, so mainly, mainly it's, I don't I don't have a physical home here in Barcelona where I bartend. The the idea of it is. I kind of the way I view it is what's uh, you, I know if you know Charles Jolly who went world class a bunch of years back he's an American bartender. We spoke about the term bartender mm-hmm. and compared it to the word of like I don't know singer or songwriter or artist, right? Uh, do you have to physically be uh, nine you know five days a week behind a bar to still be a bartender? Right. You know, or or somebody you know does somebody have to play gigs every fucking weekend no. to still be a, still be a guitarist or still be a, a songwriter? No, they can make music in their own house so i kind of view it this also matches my rhetoric so to be honest you can call me out on that shit yeah. so, <laughs> so my, i think bartending is once you've done it long enough and i've been in the industry since i was 15 i was bartending at 18 till the age of 28 so i did a whole 10 years solid behind the stick you put me behind a bar give me half an hour to get used to it and i'm good to go Right. Um, I'll complain the next day from knees that are not used to standing behind a bar for 12 oh, hours. Fuck, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I can handle a shift, no problem, right? And I could probably handle, you know, getting into full time again. But I do not have a permanent home. So it's usually guest bartending or or at events. You, you nailed okay. it there. So that's kind of it. Now, the whole point of Indie Bartender is uh, three sort of show the business model. Here's how it works. And then the other end of it, because part of an umbrella idea, like I have so many plans, they're disgustingly ambitious and probably half of them are going to fail miserably. However, I share on my website educational content that I think that is missing currently globally at all bar shows. And that's namely stuff like the training materials from different groups around the world. Like we have the milk and honey training manual from London online. I got permission for them to share it so that if you don't know how to build a training program, just download theirs and adapt it. You know, I've got body language training materials. I've got speed pouring training materials. I've got the idea is to share all this kind of stuff. But also I'm working now on business related training stuff, like how to write a brand proposal. I have a free template on my website. So if you have an idea for an event or you want to get something sponsored, like a guest bartending gig, yo, here's a template. Just fill out these dots and then send it to them. This is the kind of stuff that nobody teaches you. This kind of business end of it that you have to stumble for years to figure out. How do we get sponsorship for our podcast? You know, how does the agreement look like? So I've got like a template for an agreement that's kind of legal in Europe. So you might have to adapt it for different countries. Right. That kind of stuff. I have a calculator for guest ships on my website. You don't know how much to charge. You don't know how much to charge a brand. Cool. Go on there. It's got all the categories. Slide it around. What's your hourly rate? How much time you have to take off? 
and there's some notes, and you can figure out your rate. Oh, cool. You know, just it's useful shit. It's like <laughs> one one stop shopping, and then you know where else you can get one stop shopping for wine is that <laughs> <laughs> with Rick Barancelli at the Caves for Wine. Rick at thecavesforwine.com. He's got the 2019 Blueprint Cabernet Sauvignon from Lale Vineyards, and this is a it's just a stunning cab from Napa Valley. And 10% of the proceeds from Blueprint Wine go to organizations fighting climate change. So that's great. That's rick at thecaseforwine.com. Yeah, so that, but it really does sound like you can just kind of get everything right from your platform. I mean, it's like literally one-stop shopping for a- anything bar-related. That's, that's the thing. We're still building on it because people are very precious about their stuff. You know, it's hard to convince people on their stuff that I find online. But the idea is, is that I want to cover the education you don't get taught, you know. So right, right now we're looking at legal agreements for example if you're going to be in, invited to become an investment or part you know sweat equity in the bar yeah cool what is what does that contract look like right so i've gone working with a lawyer we like to you know do the most templated contract but to make sure that people also then modify depending on their country because it's hard to do when you're working globally there's so many niches you know like issues between different countries and legal systems you can't just go hey here's a legal contract and then somebody downloads it tries to open a bar in, in canada and then the other person you know financially fucks them because it's not legally binding legal, in canada right. Yeah. right so but at least to give people an idea you know because i think sometimes the bar in, in the bar industry we get fucked the most because we don't know we just we yeah. don't have the business education we haven't gone through business school our parents aren't necessarily multi-venue operators <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so for your yeah. platform what uh, what's the online website uh, address so so it's www.indiebartender.com you you go in there you sign up you're part of the community you get access to all the materials we have also like a, a calendar industry calendar of all global industry events with like links to their websites and i update that frequently so you can do anything the point is of my whole thing is that I want in five years to be there to be people who call themselves indie bartenders and use my template to work. Right. Like that's it. That's my goal. Like, and they don't need me to hold their hand. They can just use that and develop their own indie bartender networks, like empowering sort of people in the bar community to, to use that template work. Just like there was influencers back in the day and nobody knew what the fuck that was. Yeah. And now everyone's in, you know, everyone knows what that means. No one understands what indie bartender means at the moment, but hopefully in five years time, there'll be a whole bunch of them. And they, this is where it came from. And so to empower sort of the, the little guy, which is yeah. so virtue signally soundish, it just annoys me because I'm an asshole. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it makes that, sense. That, so, yeah, um, and, and so when I'm just trying to think about, like, how how has the response been basically from brands for you, and like, like how many partnerships do you currently have with brands? So I have two global retainers mm-hmm. based on my 2022 plan, and then I've got. Uh, two rum brands. So, for example, there you go. There's a yeah. technically a conflict of interest, right? So, one rum brand is called Ron Cologne. It's a Salvadorian rum, and they asked me to uh, basically completely take care of the cocktail competition, which is called Daiquiri Combat, which is basically make two daiquiris as fast as possible. That right. is it. There is no other rules. There's no chat. You come in, make two daiquiris as fast as possible. I'm going to film it, and I've been hosting events in five different countries doing that. So that's their jam, just for that. And then Florida Canya, we're going to sign in the next couple of days. They've been doing all this whole sustainability thing because they got caught like with slave and blood money right. a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I managed to convince them and go, hey, 
you know, I'm not a sustainability kind of guy. I take, I take the piss out of it all the time. But if you want to work with me, I will, you know, I want to make a campaign called is sustainability bullshit. <laughs> and they, for some reason, they thought that was a great idea. So, <laughs> that's, I'm surprised, actually, because that's really their whole fucking platform these days is about how their rum is like sust- sustainable. So what I did was I reached out to the vice journalist because uh, they asked me two years ago originally. And I reached out to the vice journalist who originally uncovered all this stuff. And I emailed him. And then turns out they didn't even fucking know they were doing this stuff. It was also outsourced, you know, and they didn't even know this was going on. And they've actually brought everything in house. So their cane sugar workers are now they hired them directly instead of doing it, outsourcing it to the people that did do the bad stuff. Right. But the rest of the bar world doesn't know this because we're very good at throwing stones at somebody the moment it's a problem. But we don't follow up. We don't actually care. So the reason they liked it is because I'm going to challenge it. So they've given me actually the freedom. This might get all cut three months in once the CEO realizes I'm doing this, so who knows. But the marketing guy <laughs> thinks it's a, it's a good idea. Yeah. And the idea is to go to four different bars around the world that are preaching sustainability and literally interview the owners and dive into it like as a mini doc series going, hey, is sustainability bullshit? Right. And then just you know challenge everyone. And they, they want that sort of investigative journalism because it doesn't exist in the industry. Everything's paid for. It's a shit press release. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. read out, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, no offense. You're reading out of something. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. We all got to do what we got to do. <laughs> yeah. but, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, I think we're changing. I think the industry is changing where authenticity and, and proof, not just saying something you have to show it right it's sort of actions speak loud in the worst situation and the fact authority can has accepted this two years on is showing me that there is someone in that brand who has uh gusto you know right. or has uh, a backbone and that's what we're gonna do yeah that's a cool idea and so what do you think you're gonna like <laughs> what what is your idea do you think that you're gonna find out that sustainability is in fact bullshit or what do you expect to find from this I'm I'm expecting I'm expecting A to probably do what I always do, which is piss a lot of people off, and, <laughs> and possibly get banned from some bars because the idea is to give people an opportunity to speak. You know what right. is and challenge challenge sustainability in general because realistically cocktails are like a luxury product. Yeah. Right. So and there's so much elements to this. You know. Oh yeah, don't use lemons and limes. But then your tequilas travel half around the world. You know to be here. There's, right. there's so many of these elements. And so I think where we're going to find that nothing is gray. Nothing is black and white. Sorry. Right. Everything's everything gray. Yeah. Everyone's a gray Jedi. You know. Yeah, no yeah, one's. Yeah, yeah. You know. The, and but I think that there's that I think I'm for some reason I feel that. There's going to be something that's going to go wrong that's going to piss somebody off and someone's going to ban me from their bar. <laughs> I, I, I have a feeling about this. I'm just going to end up saying something stupid. Be like, uh, but I think we're going to find out some practices that are real. Like, I'm really looking forward to going to Australia to a bar called Ray, which is everything in that bar from the floor to the – everything has been from repurposed materials. Okay. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the whole point. The deep dive. Oh, yeah. this is repurposed materials. Where'd you get it from? Like, let's right. trace it back. Like, yeah. is this? Are you just telling me, or can I? You know, can we do this? 
know, oh, this glass is repurposed, but is it, or is it from a massive company in Australia? You know, like let's challenge every element to it. And that's where I see, you know, we might find some bullshit or not, yeah. but that's the whole point. Yeah, that's kind of it. And that's so cool. you were, your, your original question was about brands, right? So yeah. in both my clauses, when they asked me, hey, do you want to run my daiquiri combat thing? I'm like, this is a this is a collaboration specifically for cocktail competitions in the rum. So I'm not going to run any other cocktail competition in the rum in the meantime. Right. But that's your that's your playing field. So I, just so you know, if I get a, if I'm doing a guest bar thing with another rum, don't get upset. If I'm going to do a, something in another field, don't get upset. So when Florida Canyon came to me, I was like, hey, I'm already doing a, a very transparent flow. So poker hands up. I'm already running this co- cocktail comp you know, on several markets with this brand. Is that cool with you? And the Florida Canyon guy goes, I want you to do a documentary miniseries about sustainability. I couldn't give a flying fuck about a daiquiri cocktail cup. Right. So that's cool. You know, so yeah. they, you know, that they, they, that's it. I guess it's easier with brands that are a bit more independent as well and sort of smaller. I don't think Diageo, Jesus Christ, they did a podcast with them. The amount of NDAs you had to sign, fuck, I know. Oh, is that right? Uh, yeah, that doesn't yeah. surprise me. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're going to give you the NDA for this one after the show. So. <laughs> it's not my contract. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's, uh, I mean, that, I mean, that is pretty awesome, though, that, like, like you said, the sort of, like, smaller independent brands are, are and I, I liken it to how, like, like, for instance, in my business, I own bars. So uh, two, uh, three or four independent bars in my area, like I like to look at us as all working together as opposed yep. to to bring like uh, awareness to a certain area of a city. So people come because no one wants to hang out in the same bar all night. Everybody wants to bounce around. Right. So rather than work, looking at the bar next door to mine as competition, I look like to look them at look to them as like partners. And so maybe that's kind of what we're getting with these brands as well, where they're like, let's just bring awareness to rum in general. And that helps all like a rising tide um, lifts all boats. Yeah. Would you, would you rather have a, a small cake or a bigger piece of a massive ass cake? You know, right. what do yeah. you want? And the other end of it, I think now it's just kind of like, it's almost lame to be like, I love competition because it get me all riled up and I want to do stuff. It, yeah. it pushes me to try harder, but it's kind of like most jealousy comes from your own insecurity. And most jealousy comes from your own lack of, you know, you're, you're doing something wrong. So you're, you're, you're lashing out, you right. know? And so what I, but communication is key. Communicate is like, I just, the number one thing in everything is just communicate. Florida Kenya came to me. I told Ron Colon, I'm, I'm speaking to Florida Kenya. They were like, thank you for letting us know. It's all cool with us. You know, if I just announced I'm working with Florida Kenya, they'd be like, oh, yo, sure. is, you know, you're yeah. working with us already. You know, so it's communication is so, so key. Like it's, it's the funny thing about the irony of the bar industry. We're so good at communicating with guests, but we can't tell our manager we're unhappy about something right. with it because, you know, or we can't, or our manager knows something's wrong, but it can't seem to be able to unable to just sit somebody down and deal with that shit you know yeah. and, and, and figure it out and if you're at a bar and you find you're unhappy with the wine selection there then you should be reaching out <laughs> to rick baroncelli rick at the case for wine.com he's got the 2017 premier crew domaine Reignon christian uh which is a beautiful burgundy pinot noir and it's perfect for summer sipping and once again that's rick baroncelli rick at the case for wine.com uh, yeah, and, and uh, like, <laughs> sorry, I lost my train of thought reading the ad. Co- <laughs> wait, 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 wait you should do this. 
you should do this ad, but then Dan just sits there and has a whole bottle with like a speed pour in it and just like <laughs> rushing the whole thing. Yeah. Re- re- or re- reviews it in, reviews it in the moment. Yeah. So after you like five, <laughs> That's right. five ads in, That's five right. ads in, he's had like three glasses of wine. He's yeah. like, yo, this we got to we got to sell a lot more ads to afford this wine to crush drink. <laughs> <laughs> We're not drinking premier crew burgundy. Yeah. <laughs> Stick it in your contract. Yeah, ex- any wines I'm repping, I got to get a bottle. That's, That's it. right. That's yeah. <laughs> Rick, are you listening? <laughs> Let, can we talk a little bit about, about what was it, the social media platform was cocktails for you, correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know if you want to talk about this because it's sort of in your past, but I'm sort of interested in that platform because I've se- I've definitely seen it on social media, obviously. It's massively popular. So talk to me about how you developed that with your partner and sure. so, so, grew it so big. No, no, it's, so it's it's Eddie, Eddie founded it. So Eddie, okay. Eddie Radzinskis is a good friend of mine. We're still all good. Like we spoke yesterday. For oh, good. Time. So everything's groovy. He founded it in 2012. Eddie is a Lithuanian Irish, I guess is the best way to describe it. And he lives in a 7,000 people small town called Monaghan in Ireland. And he's a bartender. He was in the IBA. If you, anyone here knows what the IBA is, it's the, the oldest bar organization, the largest in the world. And they love to do cocktail competitions where you hold a bottle and you're like, hey, this is super syrup. Um, <laughs> it's, it's old school stuff. But he's a part of that. And he was like a silver medalist. And basically, back in the day, it was only Facebook, right? Facebook was the, the platform. And he wanted to sort of separate uh, his private life with his like cocktail side. You know, he didn't want to post in his own private Facebook constantly stuff about cocktails because it just gets, you know, like, dude. So he made this page called Cocktails For You. He couldn't think of a better name, put it all together. And next thing you know, just put his cocktail photos on there. And as, you know, social media networks changed and it became less about you and your friends, it's like ads and pages started popping up people started sharing the content so it was just kind of like the first cocktail dedicated facebook page and uh well no tipsy bartender let's give let's let's be honest yeah tipsy bartender (laughs) he's you know the freshman college of cocktails (laughs) so but it was the first one that was industry sort of focused right and people started contacting him going yo can I send you one of my creations? Not just like, and he was at first, he was like, yo, it's my page. I'm, it's about me. And then he realized like, actually there's nothing wrong with that. I, I can't always have time to create content or whatever. Cause he's still bartending full time in, in a small town. So he started sharing other people's creations and that kind of grew. And it was the first page, you know, first kind of, it wasn't, it wasn't a creator. It was just a, a platform like MTV music sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's how it exploded. You know, it's got almost like 1.5 up 2 million followers on Facebook now. Mm-hmm. When I joined, and me and Eddie met at a cocktail competition, we got drunk together. It turns out we have a lot in common, both Eastern Europeans, both moved to Western Europe, both speak English, have like Eastern European roots. And so both can drink like fucking camels. And, <laughs> um, we just got along. And then he, I was leaving my bar at the time. It was 2016. I was leaving my bar called Tales and Spirits which was at the time a 50 best bar. And he was like, yo, do you want to come and uh, work for me? Cause I was doing this uh, really, really stupid idea. I basically blew all my money. It, there's a pattern you'll notice. I blow all my money every <laughs> <Yeah>. three years. <laughs> at least you keep making it back. Yeah. Uh, just to lose it all again. Um, so I, I basically, all the money I had saved as a bartender, I decided uh, I was going to spend it traveling. I was going to work in different bars every month. Uh, free of charge, up to 40 hours a week, 
um, as long as I got to, you know, learn something. And so that was my plan. It was called the Vagabond Project, basically Gypsy for Life. Mm-hmm. And he was like, hey, why don't you come and join my company? And I was like, I don't have any money to invest. I'm blowing it all on this project. He's like, well, if you do that under my umbrella, um, we can talk about share, you know, shareholder. And so I was like, cool, how much, how much is your company worth? He's like, we don't make any money. I'm like, how do you not make any <laughs> how do you make no money with 200,000 followers on Facebook and 50,000 on Instagram? And like, this is like 2000. He's been running it for four years. And he was like, I don't know. I'm just, no one's ever offering a sponsorship. So I'm like, are you reaching out? He's like, no, I feel, I don't want to beg. I'm like, all right. So, <laughs> so I, I basically, uh, we incorporated a new company. It was an LTD and whatever. It's a limited company. And I was a 50% shareholder and we split everything 50, 50, whatever. And I was like business development. And then I, my buy-in was that the, all my money I was blowing on this project was going to go, uh, under his umbrella. And so he still had the original page, but we put all the funnel, the money from this company. And so that was kind of it. But what ended up happening was because I was traveling for 18 months all over the world, bartending for free, I was kind of like a really cheap global brand ambassador. Right. And so that suddenly they've managed to put like a logo to a face. And so what ended up happening that we ended up exponentially growing because also at the time Facebook was really pushing like pages and this kind of stuff. It was just right place, right time. As Instagram was exploding, as Facebook was exploding, TikTok didn't even exist. And everybody was really getting into cocktails, right? Right before 2020, right? It was just, we were peak, peak everything. Yeah. Um, and that was it. That was, I, you know, I don't want to, there was no secret sauce. It was just 18 months of traveling to a different country every week, every month. And, hey, I'm from cocktails for you. Let's put you online. Oh, my God, it's amazing. And so next thing you know, brands just come themselves or we start getting... Um, started getting brands, partners, sponsorships, invitations, and partnerships. And that's when I developed the retainer thing. So we started getting annual retainers with different companies. And that's kind of how it went. Crazy. And so when you were doing all this traveling around, that's an awesome idea, by the way, just traveling to all these different countries and different bars to learn. Um, what were some of your favorite experiences in, in, in specific countries or bars? Honestly, they were all pretty cool. I think there's... There's a lot you learn. I know there's a lot of stuff I didn't like. After your fifth country, a Renaissance buildings, you don't give a shit anymore. It's all Renaissances. Hello, this is building. This is our Renaissance museum. Yeah, like every other fucking European country. Like this, it's not, it's not, it's not cool anymore. You know. Um, but, but I think that the cool thing about it was cultural differences, right? A lot of people don't realize how culturally different all these different places are. Um, I couldn't, you know, I went to, I'll just quickly go to like quick fire, you know, sure. in Norway, in Norway, I was there for a month and these people, uh, they don't really, they open up when they're shit hammered. <laughs> they're, very, they're a lot more calm. They're a lot more like very respectful, very politically correct and all this kind of stuff. But after mid, like just like gremlins and after enough alcohol, the, the, the death metal comes out and it just becomes mental, you know, um, so there's, there's those people, right? Then there is uh, South Africa. I was in South Africa for a month. Um, I didn't realize how racism is intensely mental in that part of the world compared to where I'm from. We think like Rosa Parks had it bad. Jesus Christ. I have yeah. a story where I'm in Durban, South Africa, and I'm, I'm guest bartending. I'm just setting up. We just opened up. And they have the largest uh, expatriate population of Indian people in the world. 
because of the slave trade. People didn't right. realize uh, two, there was two, two million Indian slaves came to South Africa. Uh, so while they were exporting South African people, well, African people to America, they were importing Indians. That's crazy Yeah. But you would never learn that unless you went there, you know, right. these kind of historical facts. But now they have 2.5 million Indians living there, especially in this area, and they have sugar cane there. South Africa makes rum. South Africa has tequila. They have agaves that grow there. It's, it's just crazy. And this this guy comes in with this lady. They obviously, you know, they're in a cocktail bar. They want to have cocktails. They sit down. He goes to the washroom. And then uh, he's there for a while. So he's taking a shit, obviously. And this, <laughs> so this, this, this other dude comes in the bar. He's also Indian, right? But Indian local, right? Right. And this other dude comes in, starts hitting on the chick in this like mixture of uh, like South African English dialects and some Indian South African English dialect. I have no idea what they're saying. Uh, sort of English. And the other guy comes back and they get into a huge, like, you're hitting on my chick situation. I'm like, oh, come on. It's the start of the shift, please. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just what you need, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then this thing happens, which just blows my mind. The guy who came out of the toilet goes, you can't hit on her because you're black. Uh, and, and, and I'm just like, and I'm, the, I'm, I'm Eastern European white. Right. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just, I'm, and I'm, the guy next to me is Eastern European white as well. And I'm like, have they, like, have they realized they, like we're the whitest guys in the room. How is he calling him black? <laughs> yeah, like yeah, such yeah. A, and then what I realized after the first guy left, he was trying to explain that in their culture, if you're darker skinned in the Indian community, that means you work on the fields. Oh. So, so that the whole like house or fields situation. I got if you're yeah. lighter, that means you work in offices to so your higher class. Right. So they have like a classism racism. It's the most crazy thing in the world. And you don't, you know, this is, Think for me, it was long, just like. How long your country's got to be racist for you to have developed a class system within that racism? <laughs> fucking, <laughs> That's fucking it, crazy. <laughs> dude, it was, it was so mental. And then I, you know, so it was like a moment. I'm, I'm just like, this blows my mind. I have no idea. My, everything I believe in just comes crashing down. So there was moments like this, you know, there was another moment I was in, uh, I was in Hungary and I was serving, who was, it was my guest shift. And we had the local paper come down because they managed to sell me as this like amazing dude taking photos. Little did I realize there was an American Hollywood star in the bar who was from that film Dracula, whatever it's called, the new one. He was in The Hobbit as well. The guy who was the human in The Hobbit, the new film, was Sting. Oh. Let me just check. Oh. Yeah, you'll know why a Dracula film. Apparently Hungary is very, uh, very big for Hollywood movies nowadays. Oh. I don't Bram Stoker's Dracula. The stupid, whatever. Oh, yeah. The Hobbit. The Hobbit. It, it's gonna when you when I say it, you'll understand. The Hobbit. Cool. Boom. Oh, who's this guy? Come on. Fuck him. Uh, <laughs> well, someone but, listening will but, know and email us if you yeah. if, if you know who this fucking person is. DM us at the Industry Podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The guy, the guy who plays the human kid in the yeah. in the village with the water and whatever. So okay. he's in the bar. And I'm serving drinks and this photographer's taking photos of me for the local paper and the drinks bit. And he's there for, I didn't, I didn't recognize him. So just like I couldn't remember his name now, I didn't recognize him at right. the bar either. And he just slams his like drink down. He's like, I can't go anywhere in the city without people recognizing me. And he just walks out and we're all sitting there going like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's just like oblivious. And I'm like... I'm like, did he pay his bill? <laughs> 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 I like, 
and then, amazing. <laughs> and then the funny thing is, it was a good like good like a good twenty seconds of silence is a long amount of time yeah. when you're all just confused. And then someone on the other side of the room was like, "Oh, you ruined it for me. I was trying to take like Instagram stories of him." And I'm like, "What?" I realized. <laughs> He actually he was, was a uh, famous person. He was a famous Hollywood actor <laughs> filming a film. He thought nobody recognized him, and he thought that the journalists were there to get photos of him. And the irony that they were taking photos of me. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> and, and, and actual nobody that is relevant <laughs> in the world. So there was, uh, there was bits, bits like that, you know? It was just yeah. different parts of the world. I was in Kazakhstan, and I had fermented horse milk and fermented camel milk. That was weird. Oh. Um and they drink that stuff there and it's like the friend of Branca for them. It's just makes you shit yourself. Um, just, just, just yeah. things happen, man, you know? Yeah, um, sounds, well, you've had a crazy career, like, uh, it's super fascinating. And I, I just love how you just keep reinventing yourself and coming up with new and like original and creative ways to sort of spread our industry all over the world. So thanks for everything you do. And thanks for coming on the show. And let's talk about how people can follow you and learn about all your shit. Sure. You're doing. Honestly, it's just uh, just I do everything on Instagram at the moment. Just it's just me and uh, my wife is the co-owner of my company. So at Cocktail Man is what I do. I do everything with a bit of humor, which can sometimes be a little bit edgy for people. So I pre-warn everybody of the light <laughs> disposition. Um, I like to make fun out of myself and the industry because I feel like, you know, it's it's hard enough already. You know, everyone in the, the bartending is the most greatest job in the world, like hands down. The way I explain this is that. You know, you could be a bartender, you go to Fiji. I don't know what language they speak in Fiji, but imagine you're in a beach bar in Fiji and you somehow explain to the bartender working, hey, I'm also a bartender. And maybe you get a beer, get a shot, whatever. You have a sit down and after an hour or two, you guys are now, you you, you people that are there, you're, you're on the same level. We're both in the industry. And maybe that person gets slammed. And you might end up helping clean glasses or cleaning tables. You could, you know, you could just jump behind and help out. And that's going to be super, super great and appreciated. Now, if you're a chef and you go to Paris and you go, hey, I can make croissants. They're not going to go, oh, no problem. Here's jump a in. apron. Go <laughs> jump in. Help us out. You know? Right. But bartending is the only profession where that can happen. Right. It's universal. It, it goes beyond culture. It goes beyond borders. It's super... I think it's like anthropology is the study of people. And I think the reason for that is because bartenders see so many people every single day. And we, we handle such a, because we're like human relations, right? And I think that this is where, where we are important in this sort of sense. We become like shepherds of society because you get a, you get a, that's why I think I love it. And I think that's why it's, it's easy to stay creative as long as you, you're open to stuff, you know, mm -hmm. when you travel, you know, you could work in a bar in a, Buttfuck Central uh, for 40 years and be the greatest bartender of Buttfuck Central. But, you know, when you travel to another place, you become bigger, you you, 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 could, you gain more experience, you meet new people, you get better at dealing with shit, you know? Mm. And I, th I think that's what makes it great. It's a more of a spiritual thing as opposed to a financially great thing. And that's why we love it in the end. That's why you, I guess you can't, you own a bunch of bars, you mentioned that earlier. That's why you become spiritual the more bars you own because, yeah. you know, that's the way are. I, I, I don't know where I'm going with this. It's just fucking sounds Well, no, it's, uh, <laughs> I think that's actually beautifully put. And I don't know if anyone's really expressed that in, in, in such a, a perfect way on this show before. So thanks for doing that. And thanks again for coming on. It was a super pleasure meeting you. And let's stay in touch. For sure. Sorry yeah. for ranting a whole bunch. I have no, man, that was great. 
That was great. I've not even heard Dan speak. I don't even know what his voice Dan's, sounds like. Uh, Dan, Dan's hungover. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing smart coming out of my mouth today. That's for fucking sure. I, th- I think next time we should do this where we both have a bottle on both ends. Yeah. And we just we just go like, all right, every time somebody swears, like half a shot, like a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just see how it goes. Yeah. No, that was awesome, man. Thanks so much. That was like super fascinating. And uh, yeah, you're a great talker, man. So it was great to have you on. Thank you. Yeah. Always. Yeah.